God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. I get to talk to people about God on this show. It's a lot of fun for me. I'm glad you're here. I hope you enjoy it. Let's do it. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Eliza Clark to the show. Eliza is a prolific writer of both television and theater. For the last four years, she's operated as both writer and executive producer on the TNT series Animal Kingdom. And prior to that, has written for series like Extant and The Killing. Her plays have been produced in New York, Los Angeles, and all over the country. And I had the honor of originating the role of Brock Silver in the world premiere of her play Quack at the Kirk Douglas Theater here in L.A. I can guarantee Brock would handle this conversation much differently than I will now. Uh, welcome to the show, Eliza. Hello. All right. Yeah, um, I would love to see Brock do this kind oh of radio goodness. show. He was a very bad person. <laughs> he, yeah. um, uh, I, yes, he was a bad person, but I, I, I wonder if there's one or two listeners out there that would relate to Brock, uh, on a, do you think that I, do you think there are listeners to this show that will relate to Brock? Yes. I also think, that, I mean, not that we are talking about my play, but y you made that character so likable that I think a lot of people were like, oh my God, I like him. Oh, I loved it. I was so thankful that, that I got cast in that show. Yeah. So for the, for the listeners out there, Brock was, um, he was a men's rights activist is the best, like non-negative way to say that. Uh, and he had very, what people would call misogynistic views. Uh, but he, you know, just felt like they were healthy, traditional views. Yeah. Um, and so my job was to make and to bring those views, which are not altogether illogical. No. And Eliza did a really amazing job of writing a character who, who wasn't instantly, he in fact was, was very likable, for quite some time before you start to hear some of his lines and you're like, I'm not sure I agree with that, although I like this person. And so it was really fun to work on that character and, and have him yeah. uh, brought to life. It's actually the first time I think I've ever gotten to play a guy that was that uh, conflicting for me, which is one of, the, which one of the reasons I sing its praises. All right, so the first question is, what did you have for breakfast? Um, I had a, I shared a banana with my 11 month old because I needed oh. to take a Tylenol cold and, cold and sinus. Oh, wow. And I didn't want to take it on an empty stomach, but I tend not to eat breakfast. Very. That's why I sound oh, really? like this. I sound incredibly sexy, but I ordinarily do not sound this sexy. Uh, <laughs> do well, I sound sexy? I might actually sound like a I, sick, I, crazy person. I, I absolutely think, yeah. I think uh, sexy is definitely one of the qualities. Yes, sure. uh, I think Alongside, the I, I look forward yeah. to hearing the listener responses. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to have like a, I'm going to like put it up on the webpage, you know, yeah. just be like, uh, like a little like, vote, you know, what's sexy, they're like, sexy. she sounds like a long time smoker <laughs> in a bad way. And anyway. some people will find that sexy. Sure. Um, uh, how much does your, when you split a banana with your children, yeah. uh, you have two. And yes. when you split your banana, banana with your children, how, what's the like delineation most of the time? Like how much of the banana do you get to eat? They get as much as they want. Right. And I get <laughs> three bites. Yes. Am I allowed to swear on this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They get all the fucking bananas. Yeah, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, so you, but your 11 month is, old is healthy. Are you the yes. only one that was sick no, this he, time? No, he was kind of sick, but as you know, like the kids get it and they go through it in like a day because their little immune system, it's like they're, you understand why 
evil geniuses want to like suck the blood of young things to like regain their youth because they get a you know they get something that you're like oh god this is going to be all week and then they're fine in a day i know i feel like you're down for 10 days well and and my son got like um he had like a little rash on his back because uh, we went to like the ocean and I think like some sand and, mm-hmm. you know, salt water and stuff kind of got on his back for a second. And, you know, we put like lotion. I was like, he was like, oh, it's itching and put a little lotion on it. I mean, I think it was gone like before he went to bed practically. It was amazing yeah. how regenerative. My older child, when he was like 18 months old, he hit his head on the corner of a banister like really bad so bad that we called the doctor to be like is he gonna die and she was like just wake him up in the middle of the night and if he knows who you are it's fine I was like whoa so we did that and then of course he was awake he did know who we were and he was like I don't want to go back to bed your Um, doctor was 170 years old right obviously yeah (laughs) I I don't know and then and then the next morning it was like just smack him awake yeah yeah. (laughs) no I'm sorry the next morning no no the the the, like crazy black and blue bruise was like completely gone yeah that's amazing we can go down this road for a long time, but my poor little guy, he just nailed his chin on something the other day. And it's so funny, like he's had this mark. He, he, his, that one stayed for him a little bit. Like he doesn't have like the magical cure on that one. Yeah. But he does, he forgets about it. You know, it's yeah, amazing they how they forget. Like the yeah. minute the pain isn't there, it's just that age is really sweet because they, they respond to everything, but they forget so quickly. Totally. It's an amazing process to watch them sort of just have it pass through in that way. Um, all right, so... We filtered just a little, just far enough away from the breakfast conversation, I think, to ask the next question, which, of course, you know what it is. Um, how and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? So um, my mom was raised very seriously Roman Catholic. Like, she's the youngest of five in a very Catholic family. And what part of the country was she in? She, Her dad worked in... Um, was in the Navy and they traveled around, but like they lived in Rome for a period of time. And she tells this, my mom was like, had really serious ADHD, sort of still does. And, um, she was a kind of a wild kid and she was the youngest one. And there's the story about her like cartwheeling down the aisles of the Vatican Mm. with, while her like mortified family looked on. Amazing. Um, and I would love to see that side. Yeah, it's, they were like, Joan, Joan. Of course, yeah, anyway, the reverence yeah, for the yeah. place, but she yeah. She was like three. Um, and then my dad is an atheist. He would say he's an agnostic, but then you like push on that a little bit and you're like, but he does believes he, in Santa. Does he, does, the spirit of Santa? <laughs> yeah, he's like very, I mean, because he's been with my mom for so long, he sort of has this, um, he has a lot of language around Christianity, but um Anyway, so they and they met when they were twelve, and I think for my mom's family, uh, the fact that uh, she was so wild meant that like it was fine for her to marry this kind of like half Protestant, half atheist because they were like just whoever can handle her, that's what, good. What you told me already, but what was her uh, birth order? Of she five, was the youngest. Okay, so she was also yeah. the youngest. It was like she yeah. was just. Yeah. So she got away with it on that account as well. There was the, yes. the pressure of following in any kind of religious familial footsteps was being taken care of by the elder children to some extent. Their well, older, and I older think they, siblings. they were just like, they liked my dad and they were like, if you can handle her, go go forth Fantastic. and be you know, prosperous. But anyway, we I grew up um, in a household that basically straddled a line between my dad 
feeling very reverent of my mother's mother and wanting to be very respectful to her beliefs. And so we went to church and I was confirmed and I w- went to Sunday school and I like... Did you go to a public school? I went to, a, pub- I went to a public school, but we went to a Catholic church and right. we did all that stuff. Did you do CCD and stuff like oh, that yeah. after, after oh, like, yeah. is that after school or is that on Sunday? Sundays, when, when, I think. Yeah. yeah so you're getting your like stuff. Catholic education to prepare you for con- confirmation totally. through the church. And I did first communion and yeah. And, um, and, 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 and Eliza, where are you growing up at this time? Connecticut. Connecticut. And, but at the same time, like my dad saying that organized religion is kind of bullshit and that he sort of doesn't like it and also you know not always coming to church with us and saying that he was going to stay home and quote worship in his own way so he would do this very out in front of your mother in that way i mean it wasn't something that he was doing off to the side with the kids and like okay let's respect your mom's point of view but here's what dad is and dad gets it in on the side it's like your mother lived with him being very vocal about this well actually i always thought they both felt that way huh and that we were like performing organized religion because it was important to my grandmother and we loved my grandmother. And so it was, it felt like a thing we were doing for her, um, like as a sort of respect thing, even though she didn't live near us. And, and, but, but, and I also think my dad had to, in order to get married in a Catholic church, he had to do all these classes. And so he would always say to me, even as a kid, like, well, listen, if you marry a Catholic, you need to have had this, which is like, I don't know why he thought I was going to marry a Catholic. So, so he was, that's one of the ways that he justified it to you was yeah. like, if you marry a Catholic, at least I'm putting you through these things so you don't have to do this later in life. Yeah. That's, so that's, but that's interesting. So he... But I, rem- I remember the moment that my mom told me that she believed in God and I was shocked. How old were you? I was a teenager. I was like thirteen or fourteen. So you think so your your relationship to to this your whole life was you thought your dad's point of view was was the shared point of view. Yes. And you and so your mother, although she was you knew that your grandmother yeah. was very devout. Yeah. And you were all like supposed to be good kids around her. Yeah. Uh, and that was a way of like honoring your mom yes, and like yeah. let's not just let's not rock the boat. I can play along. Yeah. But you, you were actually as a teenager. You find out that your mother was more devout than than you thought. And and how and so she you tell she says that she believes in God. And how much more? How much further does the conversation go? Well, it's. I mean, I feel like I got ahead of myself there in that story because it has a lot to do with how I thought about. Really, it basically like I shared my dad's point of view, um, and I have like. I remember very distinctly, you know, my grandparents, his parents have a house in um, Vermont, like a farmhouse. And we um, spent every Christmas there and every summer. And I have it tattooed on my arm. Oh, my gosh. um, It's a very special place. And I remember. Which arm? This arm. You've seen it, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the big house on my arm. I forgot about this. Yeah. This is so Um, great. This is the second time tattoos have come up. I wonder how often tattoos will come up in this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, Oh, great. So that's okay. Go on. And I remember being about like five or six years old and my dad like letting me stay up late and going up on the hill to look at the stars Mm. and looking out at the stars and him saying and asking questions about what was out there. 
Mm. And my dad, I, I mean, I, it's, it's part of a lot of my writing because it, uh, it was a really formative moment, but he didn't like, he didn't talk down to me and like, maybe he showed up <laughs> a little bit, but cause he was like, is that a joke or do you feel that way? Well, uh, I feel both ways. Cause it obviously it made a huge impact on me. It's like a part of my writing, but it also scared the shit out of me. I, I asked him like, you know, are, is there life out there? And he was like, well, we don't know, but there's not like human life. It's not like there's another planet of us and, you know, and he said, I, I think human beings are an aberration. Mm. And that, and then I'm, you know, you, I mean, this was part of your dialogue right. in the play, but like, he was like, I think that, you know, if you think about how long the dinosaurs existed, wow. um, you know, compared to them, we're like a speck of dust huh. and eventually we'll disappear and it'll be as if we were never here. I mean, like he said that to me at six years old. At, you were and, six? Yeah. And my wow. cousin was with us and my cousin also, my, he was a year younger than me. My cousin's, my, my dad's sister is like still mad at him about it because right, it, it was, like was traumatic for him. And, and was um, your dad's sister, she Religious? I mean, she's, yes, I think she's religious, but it was more just like, don't traumatize my five-year-old. Right, right. Um, I mean, and my dad, I think, thought it was a beautiful conversation, and it kind of was. It was just very scary. And and I, um, you know, the idea, because like at six, you sort of think you're the center of the universe. So to realize both that you're not and also that human beings aren't and that we might you know, disappear and never be, I don't know. It was So just, how do you know? This is yeah. a magnificent conversation. So yeah. what do you, so how do you think about this with your own kids? Are you going to tell these things? Do you, do you, now are you reticent at, at six when you have your very smart, inquisitive child? I've already had these conversations. Oh, you've already had them? I fucked them up big time. <laughs> no, how did you fuck them up? Well, what does my, that mean? Well, I have a four and a half year old and he's very smart. And, and my husband is an atheist and I mean do you define you define yourself as an atheist then too? yeah I mean I think it's more complicated than that for me but like the and it has to do with like sort of my evolution of thinking over time but I um but yes for most of my life I would consider myself an atheist and I but my son has just started asking questions about what happens after you die and and I've said, you know, uh, because also my dad, my um, father-in-law passed away like when Graham was two or 18 months old or something. And and he doesn't remember him, I don't think really, but he has said some really beautiful stuff about him. Hmm. Like one time he was in like a hiking backpack on Zach's um, back mm-hmm. and he- Zach is your husband. Yeah, sorry. sorry. That's okay. No, it's all good. Um, That's my job. And, uh, and Graham was- like pretending to take letters out of Zach's like hair, like taking like like mail. Aww. And Zach's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm getting the mail. And he was like, what is it? And he's like, it's a letter from Poppy, which is Aww. his aunt. Um, and what does it say? It says, I love you. Like it was Aww. just really sweet. Anyway, he talks about him all the time. He, I think because he's trying to grapple with the idea of where Poppy is. Right. Um, and he's asked like, so where is Poppy? And Zach says, well, he's dead. And he's like, well, what is that? So does he live outside? Wow. And we're like, no. Anyway, Zach has had these really beautiful conversations with Graham that have been very, I think, 
he's been very honest. I got really panicky when he started asking me. And so I started saying, like, well, lots of people believe lots of different things. Like, some people believe in a place called heaven. And some people believe in reincarnation. Like, you know, because also my parents' dog died. And so I said, you know, some people believe that... Around the same time? or or like about a year ago. You know, and so he thinks about Poppy and he thinks about Indy, the dog. Okay. And he's like, and I said, well, you know, some people believe in reincarnation and maybe Indy could come back as a person. And then Zach, and then Graham was like, wow, like he could be a person and and I could come back as a dog. And I yeah. said, yeah, maybe. And he said, and then he started, he burst into tears and was oh. like, I don't want to be a dog. Wow. I don't want to be a dog. And I was oh. like, and then he's completely glommed on to the idea of reincarnation, but very specifically that you die and you become a dog. Yes, of course. And oh my gosh. Zach's like, Eli, what, <laughs> do you believe in reincarnation? I'm like, no, but I was just telling him some people do. Yeah. yeah. But my son believes that when you die, you become a dog. I don't yeah, know. gosh, that's such an amazing yeah. um, hook on how the little child brain thinks it's such an, it's a very fascinating question. Actually, it's a great, a great place to take a, a quick break because I want to come back and talk more about um, exploring like how you want to continue having this conversation with your son. So we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. We're back with Eliza Clark. Um, so right before the break, you were talking about this conflict. It's its humorous, you know, it also has, you can tell there's some genuine, you have some genuine concern, maybe some regrets about how you started answering your, the first queries from your four and a half month old, about four and a half year old about uh, about like what happens when we die and mm-hmm. what, what's going on in the world. So the question for you is, why do you think you answered it that way? And I think the reason I want to ask it like that is you referenced earlier that you're an atheist, but it's complicated. And mm-hmm. you said that your husband's an atheist, and you kind of made it like atheist full stop. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't have any concerns about that. You know, and of course, as, as I enjoy exploring in these conversations, um, you know, we're going to talk about what, this is two different versions of being an atheist, as right. there are many different versions of being a Christian. And so for you then, why is it complicated? And is that complication one of the reasons that it was hard for you to answer your son's question with one direct answer? Um, well, that's a lot. That's, there is a yeah, lot of question no, no, in no, there, no, but it's I, good. I just no, kind of like, that's the arc of where no, I want to go. I like, it's good. I, I, um, I think that, well, I'll, I'll start with the... I'll, I'll just I'll just start with whatever comes to my head. Um, I read one parenting book when I was pregnant, and it was, I think it was called "Relax." It's just God. Like it was. It's like, Whoa, oh, what I've do you need? Heard of this book. What do you need? A book about talking to your children about God, like when you're about to have a newborn. Like I should have read a book that was like how to hold a baby, but I was <laughs> like, no, I got that. I need to worry about how to talk about religion. Um, and it was a book. I think that's what it's called, but it's a book that's about, you know, being an atheist, but talking to your children in a way that doesn't, like, push them away from you or, like, shut down their exploration. Um, I mean, the the book kind of makes the argument that if you, like, are really sort of adamant about religion being terrible, that, 
you might end up with like a super religious kid. Sure. Right. <laughs> so just because of the contrariness of kids on some yeah, level, just like right? rebellion and, you know, um, and there can't be anything. So I, I, I'm filling your thoughts for you. I don't need to be doing this, but the, the but, but I think I, I'm responding because I feel a certain kinship to the idea, which is that if you speak in platitudes, they're meant to be, they're meant to be interrogated. Like there's no, yes. it's very difficult to have yes. a thing that you say is I am, this thing is full, true, no concerns outside of like scientific, certain scientific discoveries and certain scientific discoveries, even yes. on that level uh, will be interrogated. So anyway, continue. Yeah. On. I think that for me, the reason why it's complicated and, and has become complicated to me is that, you know, my dad, I mean, I, my parents are amazing and I love them both very much. And I, and because I love them very much and there's like some hero worship, I just sort of was happy to have like particularly my father's beliefs be my beliefs mm. in a way that's kind of the way that religious kids are brought up. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's like there's a fundamentalism to atheism too. Sure. And Absolutely. there, you know, I, when I was in... When I found out my mom believed in God, I was like 13 or something, 12 or 13, and I was going to this Christian youth group, and the only reason I was going to it was because it was like there were hot guys, hmm. and it was like what everybody was doing, and I, you know, it was basically like at, it was at night on a school night, and it was like, it was, you know, it, it was not, I wasn't really that interested in like the God part of it, but I was interested in the social part of it and I remember being there and listening to a kid I think it was a boy talk about how his sister had died and how he was like but he was okay he was okay because she was in heaven and and I just like lost my shit a little bit like I um I I remember like crying and being really upset about it and just just feeling bad for him feeling bad for him that he didn't know the truth that his sister was dead. Oh, and that's like, like that was I was trying to get at like yeah. where is the emotion coming from that that you it's you feel bad for him because you you wished that he you wished that he just accepted or knew that the the, the his sister wasn't coming back. It wasn't well, that you were you're feeling think, some of his pain because his pain is genuine. I think I felt bad for him that he was in pain and that he didn't know the truth. Hmm. But I also think I was in pain for myself because I was like wouldn't it be great to feel that way? Right. The way he feels. And to be certain the way that he feels so certain that he'll see her again. Yeah. And I, um, and it really sort of like sparked this weird little like 13-year-old crisis in me. And I was doing lots of reading. You know, I, I like, I read Siddhartha and like, all, you know, and I, I just started, and I, and then I remember having this really big fight with my dad around the same time because I was like at home, my mom went back to work around the time I was like 12 or 13. And so I remember like I would come home from school and like eat something I wasn't really allowed to eat and like watch Oprah or something. Mm. And there was this Oprah where it was about miracles and, you know, it was a very convincing miracle that I was watching at a tender age. And I told my dad about it. 
kind of, I think, probably knowing what his response would be, but I was testing him. Mm. And I was like, this mirror, and I forget what it was exactly, but it was like a person who like had no ability to speak and then started reading the Bible or something and then could speak or something. It was like something like that. And my dad was like, yeah, you know, like people do anything for whatever, or 15 minutes. Right. Yeah. Fame. And he's kind of got this like conspiracy theory type brain anyway. Like, I mean, it's a liberal conspiracy theory, but it's not like, you know, he's not Alex Jones, but he's got like, he's very smart. He's very scientifically minded, but he like, he likes that, you know, like he likes angles and, um, and I just got really upset with him and it like really, and I was like, you don't believe in anything, you know, wow. like as a little kid. And then I remember like, but crying. also kind of true. Totally. Although he would, I think he would say that's not true. Okay. I mean, you know, and I understand him more now as an adult, but at the time I was like, you know, so angry. You don't believe in anything. And like, I was just excited about this fucking Oprah miracle, dad. And I talked to my mom about it. And I remember in that conversation, as I'm crying about this, she said, well, I believe in God. And I was like, it blew my mind. Wow. I was like, what? How? Yeah. And I don't really think she said anything more about it, but it was like, I don't know. I just, it was, but she's very quiet about it. And she doesn't, I don't think, you know, she doesn't go to church. She's not a Catholic anymore, really. I mean, maybe she would say she's a Catholic, but she doesn't like practice Catholicism, but she believes in God. And I was like, that's wild to me. Yeah. So how many times have you had that conversation with your mother since? None. None. Never talk to her again about God or her beliefs. No, I really should, though. I mean, I don't know if you should or not. I mean, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you're doing it for the right reasons, you know, but... But it sounds like you talk pretty openly with your dad about... It yeah, sounds we talk like, about that stuff all the time. Yeah. Well, he was just very opinionated about it and had a lot of thoughts about it. Yeah, and, and, and obviously yeah. you you, you referenced this, that you, you lean your father's way. And it sounds yeah, yeah. like... And so maybe one thing I had responded to earlier in something you talked about was that your dad calls himself an agnostic, even though he's really more yes. of an atheist. Do you think that he, in a similar way to maybe you not wanting to press your mother for a conversation or something like that, have just been respectful to her point of view and not wanting to try to cross boundaries at any point, right? At a certain point, we realize, like, there's no there's no reason to argue this or no reason to well, everyone to kind of join up on one level here. I um, don't think that she would argue it, though. Like, I don't... I, I think I got the sense from her that it was just a really personal thing. Like, it was just a personal belief and not something that she felt threatened by my father's beliefs. Yeah. And my dad always instilled sort of the values of Christianity and he would call them Christian values too. Like, you know, we, there was a lot of talk about kindness and taking care of people and, you know, service and shame. I mean, that, that part was ingrained, you know, my mom put a lot of um, emphasis on me being, kind to other people in a way that was like totally well-intentioned, but I being an anxious person kind of internalized it in a way that was like at times overwhelming to me as a child. Sure. Um, I, I can relate to that. Yeah. I did like, for example, I, in my fifth grade talent show, I performed 
Oh, uh, you're like embarrassed to say this. No, I'm not. I'll, I'll tell you after. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I want to be respectful, yeah. but I'm sorry to my listeners who um, are not going to get the juice on that. But that's yeah. okay. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. Um, oh my God, I've had so many embarrassing things. I have a certain, um, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's amazing when you think back on, you know, what's funny is I thought of two things and one of them was when I pooped my pants in second grade. Oh yeah. Terrible. And I, I went to the bathroom. I knew I had to go. This is such a, such a side (laughs) run here, but I was just like, I went and I pulled my pants up, but I didn't pull them down fast enough or something, or they got caught or they slipped off my thumb or whatever happened. Yeah. And the eruption of tears and the just sheer shocking embarrassment of having to go back into the room to tell these things, these things happen to children and they never leave you. And so actually this brings us back to- I peed on stage in front of an audience. Wow. As a six year old. Wow. In an off-Broadway play. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah. That's twice I really back to back nights. You're like, yeah. look, you, you like the seven o'clock show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so here we are, right? We're talking about the things that happened to us when we're kids. And so this is so a lot of what we're talking about here. You know, it really, it really lit up for me, partly because of my point of view. Right, I'm a father. Yeah. My son's a little bit younger than your oldest, um, and he hasn't quite gotten to these questions yet, although we're introducing them like little by little through different books and things. Yeah. But we're talking about how do you deliver information to a child mm-hmm. so that the child is not both boxed in, but also not in, in a world of chaos, right? Yeah, you want, you want the yeah. Tr- yeah, exactly. You want the child, child children need to feel... They need to feel protected. And so one of the things you're talking about, and one of the jokes that you're talking about, is your father exposed you to these very big thoughts at a time where maybe you didn't, you needed to be maybe, you wonder if maybe you needed to be a little more protected. One of the first plays I wrote, like in college, was this play, it doesn't really matter, but in it, there's a line where the main character, who's basically me, says... God is dead. My father killed him when I was young. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And like, my dad thinks that's hilarious. <laughs> um, and I'm glad that you had a dad who could like laugh at that. Totally. Uh, I mean, line. The, I mean, I I don't know how you feel, but like, I also just feel more and more as a parent that like, I'm so for. I mean, you know, I don't I don't think it's anything that I need to forgive because it's like it's just my dad was being himself, but it's like. He was just doing the best he could. He was trying to be honest. And honestly, like, he changed my worldview in a way that has been very valuable to me in yeah, my work. So it it's not, I'm not, like, it's... mad about it. But it is – I do see – my child is very much like me, anxious um, and afraid of things that in his imagination. He's imaginative mm. and, like – I just recognize myself in him in lots of ways. And I just, I think I'm, I'm like trying to have a do over a little bit of like, you know, Zach's telling him the truth and I'm, or whatever, however we perceive the the truth. truth. And I'm kind of like, is it so bad for him to have a moment where maybe he could just think like he becomes a dog? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a, I guess the question is, do you feel like, personally, do you let yourself, how have you adapted to that? 
you know? So now, you because you were saying it's complicated, and maybe what you're saying is there's a part of you that you're, maybe at least still yearns, even though you're, yeah. even though you're, your intellectualism about it yeah. do, won't allow you to necessarily believe the argument, but you yearn to have something that's comforting about the afterlife or I just you see know. so much magic in the world. Yeah. And I mean and that was something that my parents were was sort of regardless of religion, but like Christmas was a huge thing in our house. Like then when I said earlier that my dad believes in Santa, like right. I'm not really kidding. Like <laughs> he my parents we like hardcore it was all magic. You know, we would go to Vermont Somebody in the family, and, and I'm my dad's family is my dad's one of seven, so I have like all these cousins, wow, and yeah, we're all families. very close. And so somebody, one of the uncles or the aunts or whatever, would sneak off and dress up as Santa, and like be the kids would be like my grandfather would be reading the night before Christmas to us, and we'd hear jingle bells, and we'd run to the window, and like just off in the field, you'd see Santa walking away, and it was like. I 100% believed that I had seen Santa. Like, wow. it was kind of divorced from Jesus, but it was, like, magic. And and it was, you know, the spirit of Christmas, We, you know, reading the gift of the Magi and, like, the sort of the values of Christmas, regard, you know, not really about Jesus, but about, like, you know, fellowship, you know, um, your your fellow man, you know, goodwill on earth, peace on earth, like all of that stuff was so important to my family that like, you know, it's all the things about Jesus. It's just without the Jesus part, kind of. Right. So I, I don't know where I was going with that, but I, well, so I yearn for magic in my life. I don't, it's a hard for me. And, and what I was saying before about like, just adopting my father's point of view. It's like I haven't tested, I haven't, I don't have the like science, you know, you and I have talked about this when we talked about Brock, the character, but like I don't really have the scientific understanding of why I, I don't believe. I mean, I don't believe, but and I think it's scientific, but I don't really, I haven't like pressed on that very hard. So and you don't feel like it, you don't feel like you need to. Well, it just feels like fundamentalism to me. To, mm. For me to blindly say I'm an atheist, it feels like well, that's just what I grew up with. Mm. Just like somebody who was born into fundamentalist Christianity grew up with that, and they say they believe in God because their parents believe in God. Right. And so, I mean, I I don't believe in God, but I have not. I I, I have a sort of um, I don't know. I have like a sarcastic way about me about dealing with these issues that I have in recent years tried to press on a little bit like why am I so disdainful of belief like why am I so kind of caustic about it why am I so like liberal elite about the kind of like you know if I'm if I'm being you know why do I why is my knee-jerk reaction to think that somebody who believes in something is stupid or you know I not that right. I actually believe that no but like well when you think in arguments yeah. you you think of you know it, this is an argumentative sort of thought right like it's uh, you you believe you've thought deeper on something and you think that there's only one right answer and so right. the, the, the reaction is well then that person must be wrong why am i but I, but to me it's like the 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 knee jerk reaction of like that person is stupid is also the kind of tribalism that i don't like about organized religion right. it's like 
I'm right and you're wrong. Like, that's not really how I want to view the world. And I went through a kind of really deep um, depression right after Trump was elected that was not really related to Trump, but was was sort of ex- exacerbated by it. Like, I, you know, I'm just a chemically depressed person, but I mm. um, had gone off of my antidepressants because I'd had a kid and then I hadn't gone oh, back right. on that because I'd been feeling kind of okay. And then it was like creeping up on me and I was feeling kind of not great. But like, I also, you know, have a lot of resistance to medication for also reasons that have to do with my father. Right, yeah. Um, and um, I love you, Dad, because I know you'll listen to this. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I think of these things like, you know, I don't want to derail your uh, story. Do you want to? Well, so no, so I just, I, um, it was like sort of sneaking up on me in a way that I couldn't, um, that I wasn't on top of. But I kept thinking to, I like dyed my, I like bleached my hair blonde. I like was, you know, I just was getting angrier and angrier and angrier about like the pussy grabbing, all that shit. I just was like, it was, it was like igniting something in me that was commingling with my, you know, just chemical anxiety and depression. And, but I was like, but don't worry, Eli, you know, Hillary's going to win and everything's going to be okay. And then she didn't and he won and it just my world kind of crumbled and I I just it was an implosion basically and like to crawl out of it I needed a lot of medication Mm. and I also just needed like I took a break from drinking I just was like I need to and and it was like a very painful year but a year that I knew even as it was happening, I was like, I will feel grateful for this time, but I hate this right now. Oh man, do I get that. And and I do feel grateful for it. And I'm now out of it and I feel great. But like I, I mean I feel terrible because well, my right, voice, say, but I don't feel terrible. And you're terrible. hungry because your child ate all your banana. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm always hungry because they never <laughs> let me eat. They look at me like, why would I share this with you? Um anyway, but I But no, but you're yeah. you're stronger. You know, totally. you're, you're, you have now grab, you have now, it sounds like what you're saying is you've anchored yourself in certain ways or let go of certain anchors, whichever way you want the kind yeah. of metaphor to work that, um, you know, you, you don't, you don't, you're, you are stronger and both free of certain, um, certain like vulnerabilities. I just was trying I, as part of that experience and like. I'm just a person, I'm just, you know, I, I guess I grew up Catholic, but I, you know, it's sort of a waspy uh, way of being, but just like that your happiness is something that you're in control of and you need to like pick yourself up and be okay. And I have, you know, over the course of my life realized that that's not something that is entirely true. And I don't like feeling my feelings, hence the drinking. I mean, I wasn't like a problem drinker, but like I do enjoy a glass of wine. Yeah, this is or incredibly three common. In order to like not feel my feelings. And I was like, I gotta not do that. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta feel what I'm feeling. I gotta like get my head around it. I, I'm, this is gonna be terrible and painful. And part of that was like letting go of the idea that I knew everything. Yeah. The, the fact that you have shared this so uh, brazenly, like so openly, is, I think, 
a real gift. So I appreciate that. And this is a moment where we got to take a quick breather, but then we'll be right back. One of the things that Eliza and I were talking about after the break was um, the sensitivity of talking about these types of subjects with parents listening that you know love you and that you love and that you may not believe exactly what they believe or what they raised you to believe. And I really identify with that. Uh, I was telling her that, you know, there's, there's basically two people in my life who I'm worried about hurting their feelings and it's my parents yeah. and it's because I love them so much and I appreciate so much of what they've given me at the same time you know children from the parents perspective need to become independent and they need to follow totally. what they are and then from my perspective because I was the child once and now I'm the dad you know I'm both now I needed to follow this road because as I was telling Eliza before, actually, before we started recording, was there's a reason I'm doing this show. It's, it's, it's something I love. It's a conversation I love. But it's difficult for some people. Um, some people don't want to think about this. Or some people have very, very fundamentalist views, as you said. And I think, I think very eloquently and very importantly, you mentioned that fundamentalism exists both on an atheistic side and, and on a religious side. And we, we have to be careful about how stringent we are with our rules. And, and so having this conversation with, with people that I respect, you know, over and over again only reminds me how much I love just living in a world of conversation about it and yeah. not so much about believing one thing entirely. Yeah. But I, I understand that at times by not believing in one thing entirely, you ruffle feathers. And so that's part of what this conversation is about too, is just about bringing something to people that's challenging. And so anyway, you're talking about, you know, how it feels to open up about this with parents that you will, well, I'm sure will well, love this parents, conversation and it will all yeah. be fine, but we're sensitive to yeah. it nonetheless. My parents have like already dealt with the fact that I'm a writer and that I mine their lives for content. <laughs> I mean, in all... Right, you've been doing this for years. Yes, and they are super supportive of me. And, I mean, I think what's kind of interesting is that my dad insists that he's an agnostic, and actually more and more I can see how that might be true. Um, and so part of what's interesting about this conversation is thinking about it from my perspective as a parent, like I perceived my dad's beliefs in a certain way that I think he wouldn't categorize them as. Like mm. he would say, that's not what I meant. And I'm like, but here's what I heard. Right. Um, and, you know, it's just really interesting. And I, you know, I just kind of worship my dad and that's why I you know, I'm a 33-year-old woman who just, like, for the first time is, like, maybe I should, like, think about this for myself. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I also probably, you know, will land back in a place where he is. But that's well, just, yeah. No, but that's this is a perfect jumping-off point for my next question, which is, so where do you, where do you feel like you're really, where you're proud of what you're building as a spiritual sort of structure or a, a magic 
adjacent structure mm-hmm. for your family and your children, right? Like you talk about, yeah. you have a reverence for the magic that was created at Christmas, so the magic that you see in the world. We have fairy doors on the trees in our yard. Oh. Yeah, and fairies come through them sometimes and leave things. Oh, how beautiful. Um, so you you guys will plan yeah. almost like little tooth fairy, you know, kind yes. of things, but they're random. They're random. Oh. Um, I, I think for me... Like, I don't know that I have a spiritual life. I mean, I I want to, and I think I get that through experiences. Like, I get that through theater. I get that through sitting in a room with people. I get that through singing. Like, one of the things I miss about church is singing with people. Like, mm. when I'm at, like, a Dodgers game and everyone sings Take Me Out yeah. to the Ball Game, like, I get teary-eyed. Like, I cry at the Star Spangled Banner, and it's not because of my, like, immense patriotism. It's just, like... <laughs> Everybody singing together is beautiful. And like my, you know, two of my best friends and I will get together and we'll like go do karaoke and we, I force them to, it's like my best friend from high school and my best friend from college and I, they didn't know each other. I like brought them together and now they're very, very close friends and the three of us will go and we'll like, I'll like make them sing I mean, make them sing. They love it. They fucking love it. But like, we'll we'll sing like "Hold On" by Wilson Phillips in three part oh, harmony, yeah, right. or we'll sing like that's such a classic, you know, "The Rose" or whatever, and we sing it in three part harmony. And we, the whole time, the three of us are like, "This is so embarrassing." Like, but we love it. Like, right. we learned, we learned um, that song. We learned "Call Your Girlfriend" with the cups, and the, you know, oh, doing yeah, the cup yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And like, it was so. That that kind of thing to me actually like is spiritual. Like hearing my voice in harmony with another person's voice is that is where like God lives. You know what I mean? I mean, because I'm, I'm such a good singer. Yeah. No. Um. Just because it just there's like a there's a way that that resonates in your like bones that is incredible. And I feel the same way about like when you're in a theater and you're sitting with people in silence and and something happens and it's like scary. And you're like, we all know that this is a theater and that those people are actors and that this is a play. But like, I'm afraid. Mm. Or I, you know, I feel, or I feel sick or I feel whatever. And like that, the ability of human beings to like create that Mm. and then to create that in a room together is magic. It's magic. Yeah. And I, you know, so the first part of my, quote unquote spiritual journey is just trying to examine my um, disdain for belief. Like just trying to go like, why does it matter to me so much that I know the, that I'm like, I'm just so judgmental. Like why do I need to be that way? Um, And you know, why do I need to be right about this when nobody knows? And so that's, that's where I am. I mean, mm. what, what will, wh- whether I will ever come out of the other end of that with some other belief, I don't know. But like, you know, my husband bought me a, a tarot deck and I was like, this is hilarious. But like, it's, but I, I've not learned how to use it, but I right. am very excited. I had a tarot to, reading yeah. that was like, I, I had a tarot reading once that was really powerful and I sort of lived with it for a while and let yeah. it resonate for a while and then I was like okay I get it like yeah. this is I sort of let myself be wooed by yeah. this 
but also it was kind of nice to be wooed by it. It was kind of nice to be, to feel like there was, we were having a, a sort of above reality discussion about, about who I am and what's coming for me. There's something playful about it. There's something. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel that way about therapy. It's like, I go to therapy and my therapist and I talk about whatever I want to talk about and she listens. I talk about what I like to talk about too in therapy. Just why, just, you know, (laughs) I don't know why I felt like that was so coy. I I don't know why I felt like saying that. Every once in a while, my therapist (laughs) will be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But let's cut to the chase here or whatever. She doesn't say it like that, but you know, every once in a while she asks a question where you're like, oh yeah, she's pointing out something. She's saying, this is a pointed question. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that, to me, there's something r- spiritual about that experience, about talking out loud, and then by the end of the conversation, something comes out of you that you didn't know that was yes. going to come out of you. Like, maybe all of that is, you know, synapses firing in our brain, and maybe all of, like, I guess I just don't want to believe that, like, my love for my husband is chemical, you know, and that my love for my children is just biological and that my mm. life is meaningless. I mean, not that that's not that God gives it meaning, but just I believe that the human experience is so joyful and painful and like it's just all of those things at once. It's so special um, that there has to be magic mm. in the world. And I think it's, I think that's obviously very beautiful. I, so, but I feel like what you're saying, if you don't mind me asking a follow-up question on that is, because you referenced something really big, right? You you use the word meaningless. You use the word, I know, and you caught yourself. I know. And you're like, not that God gives it meaning, but it's almost like you were like not, maybe you, you, maybe you are you're circling your what you're doing, and I'm not saying you're. It's clear that you're not saying one thing. Yeah. But you're circling something right now, which is: is life meaningless without an afterlife, or without a larger purpose, or without without well, a sort of? I don't of believe a des- in an afterlife. Okay. I don't. I mean, like, so I don't know that it's. My dad actually would say he when I would press him on his beliefs, he would say, "I believe there's something special that binds us that can't be explained." Mm. And I think that ultimately is sort of what I'm talking about. Right. Like that there is something, and it's not just our hormones and our brain chemistry and our, you know, instincts and our, I, you know, I think there is something special. Well, yeah, yeah I, I entirely agree with that. I mean, one of the things, and I've said this before on this show, is a very simple observation, but, mm-hmm. you know, we we are still trying to figure out if if the big bang is ultimately the sort of winning theory that it works right now for where everything we know but if we don't if we ultimately find out something else or whatever that will be the new mystery but let's just say the big bang is how it happened then how do we get the big bang right so yeah. what what comes before the big bang this is a great mystery uh whereas you know certain and these are the new mysteries this is the frontier of mystery today yeah. of the present we live in there have been frontiers of mystery all throughout human existence since consciousness mm-hmm. and 
what will be the next mystery? And so what we're talking about when we talk about things like fundamentalism is our wariness of someone that's trying to answer a mystery today that's going to change tomorrow. But at the same time, there always seems to be this another level of intense mystery to the universe we live in, to the world we live in. And undoubtedly, there is there is an energetic force that that binds us. There, there yeah. that that's that is scientific. There is energy in the world. There is we all we live in a way with each other that is cause and effect in a in an in an, in energy. Yeah. And uh and even on a basic level, where we don't have to say anything more about that. What does that mean? What does that represent? Who is represented by that? Is nothing represented by yeah. that? Just by existing next to each other, we exist in something that is that is universal. And so that's, you know, I only go into that because, one, I don't know how I think about it. And yeah. two, I think it's just my way of saying that, yeah, you know, there, it's, just, it's just reflecting back for you what I feel like I'm hearing you say, which is that you're circling around what is, people throw this word meaningless around, and what are we saying when we say that, you know? And what are we saying when we, when we think, can we, can we live with just that? That's what a lot of people, yeah. you can atheists, can you live with that? And some do, and they live fervently. You look at someone like Christopher Hitchens, who was just like beautifully antagonistic, you know, and, and lived yeah, in he this also hyper... Wrote, he also wrote, Why Women Aren't Funny. Right. So You're right about Christopher that. Hitchens. You're right about or, that. Or he's right about that. Women aren't funny. No, that's not true. And also, <laughs> you're right. But, you know, you're right. I, look, I, you're yeah, right yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he was, he was a prick. But also, was that also, article was so stupid. I was like, I didn't fuck read the article. you, Chris. I, I, heard, I did hear that. Yeah. I haven't read that article. It was article. dumb. He um, was wrong. Was he not being funny in the article? No, he? he was deeply unfunny. And I, and and he also was like, oh, yeah, I, I can't remember it exactly because it came out when I was in college. But it was like, women aren't funny unless they're unattractive. And then, oh. I don't, or something. It was very. Oh, wow. It was gross. Yeah, that's, that is gross. Yeah. But yeah, he had other good ideas. He had other good ideas, but I guess what I'm saying is, no, look, this should be... People aren't perfect. The, well, this should be perfect. hurt. He, he, deserves, yeah. he deserves to catch shit for what he deserves yeah. to catch shit for. Yeah. Uh, but he is a firebrand in one direction, yeah. and we get to choose how we live with it. I don't know. I, I don't want to drift off either here too far, but I, uh, we're talking about how you, how you organize making the choice around, around living with you know, what is enough and what isn't enough. Do you feel like you... Um, do you, so your so your husband doesn't live with any sort of conflict around this. I, don't, I mean, you know, you'd have to ask him, but like, I don't think. I mean, you know, his dad died, and it was he. You know, he talked about like our son was two, and then he came home and he said, "Daddy," and and he heard it in a completely new way, mm. and like he wrote this kind of beautiful Instagram post um, that's very funny about his dad on Father's Day, like, I think right after, um, right after he died, like, the the next year, that was like, I'm missing this dad today, but I'm also aware that, like, he's dead, and that even if he, even if there isn't a heaven, which there isn't, like, he's up there um, not able to read Instagram, because he, does, you know, like, whatever, right. it was a very funny, but, like, you know, he's dealing with grief, and, um, that's an interesting, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting thing to have to grapple with in a, in a more real way. And I haven't, you know, I've lost people that were important to me, but 
Um, I, you know, my grandfather, my dad's dad died when I was a few years ago, and it was really hard because I, he was a really important person in my life, but he was also very, um, very uh, vocal about his beliefs, which were that life ends and then you're done, mm-hmm. um, and that he was okay with that. And so that made it kind of okay for me, sort of, and that he was kind of in pain at the end and it was ready, he was ready to go. Um, but it, you know, but also it still is horrible. It's still horrible to lose somebody. Yes. Um, whether or not they're old and they lived a great life, it doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, obviously that's the preference, but you still miss them and I don't know. And you live with their memories. And that's another totally. thing, right? And how do we relate to the memory? Yeah. And some people use that as a conversation that they keep alive yeah. and feel like that person exists. Yeah. But I mean, I lost my grandmother and sometimes I still wake up and I'm like, oh my God, she's dead. Yeah. You know, and I'm yeah. like, wait, how is she dead? She feels so alive to yeah. me. Yeah. You know, yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. That she feels so alive to me. And then when people get to kind of feel that the way they want to about that, they yeah. can make the choice that, no, she is alive to me in a way that's spiritual or she's not alive, but she's in my memory. And so I keep her alive. You know, I just feel like, yeah, there's like, there's a sort of electric pulse that I get in certain places. And when I read certain things or when I think, have a really good conversation or, like that I just feel I don't know there's something otherworldly about it like the sort of you read a book and it like electrifies something in you or you see a piece of theater and it does the same thing like you hear music and it like awakens something in your bones and that you can't explain and I just feel like that's that's my religion I don't know like look my religion is Santa it comes back around like I had a magical childhood and I want my kids to have a magical childhood. I remember, you know, the first Christmas where I was like 14 or something, and I was excited to be downstairs with the grown-ups putting presents under the tree and being Santa. I was excited about it because I was old and whatever is cool. And then I and I was old, 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 like 14. Mm. That's too old. But I was like, I was there, and then I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this. Like, I want to go upstairs and be awakened by the stocking at the end of my bed. Like, yeah. I know my parents are filling it, but I want to go upstairs right now and go to sleep. Like, yeah. I want to believe in magic, and I do. Ugh. What a perfect ending. I mean, you really (laughs) nailed it. Are you a writer? You know, I'm so thankful for these conversations. I'm so thankful that you came in. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being so generous. Thanks for having me. And um, thank you all for listening. I'll see you next time. 